Welcome to Rethinking Youth Ministry, where each week we hope to raise the bar for youth ministry by asking questions, interviewing thinkers, and having real, honest conversations about what it looks like to lead the next generation. I'm CJ, and today I'm excited to be joined by Ashley Bohintz. Hey, everyone. Crystal Chang. Hi there. And Melinda Anderson. Hi there. And uh, today on Rethinking Youth Ministry, we're talking about taking care of students with special needs in your youth ministry. And we'll get to talking about that in just a second, but that is why we have Melinda on today, because Melinda, uh, you've been working with students and kids with special needs for 23 years now. You've been volunteering uh, in youth ministry for some time as well. So tell us a little bit about your background and uh, your experience. All right. I've been teaching students with special needs for 23 years now, from ages kindergarten on to high school and young adults. I've done job training. I've um, actually worked with them through sports. I've worked with them in all the educational fields through autism, moderate, severe, profound intellectual disabilities, emotional and behavioral disabilities, and also been working with them in ministry, not intentionally, But Mm -hmm. when students do come into our ministry with special needs, we work on accommodating them to our programs. That's amazing. And uh, in addition to Melinda's experience here, obviously, um, we've talked a lot about in the past on other episodes that Ashley and Crystal, you both have been part of the education system and and worked with students with special needs as well, right? Yeah. Actually, for my first five years teaching Spanish, I taught Spanish one with autism inclusion. So I would have like eight to 10 students with autism in my classroom alongside some of their peers. Wow, that's awesome. And uh, and I guess before we get our conversation really rolling here, when we say special needs for the context of this conversation, we're primarily talking about those in our communities and our churches who've been diagnosed with some sort of developmental disability. And uh, and the reason we're talking about this is I have got a few stats. You know, I, I, friends, I came here prepared as a podcast host, <laughs> right? DJ research, and, surprise. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I honestly didn't have a, a really great frame of reference for this. But when I started digging into it, it the, the stats are mm-hmm. staggering. Mm-hmm. And so I'll run through a few of these and we'll jump into our conversation. But um, between 2001 and 2011, there's been a 21% increase in mental health and uh, neurodevelopmental conditions among children. Uh, from 2002 to 2012, there's a 120% increase in uh, kids diagnosed on the autism spectrum. And then, uh, and then to bring things even more present day, uh, in 2016, one out of every 14 kids between the ages three and 17 have been diagnosed with some sort of developmental disability. And to put that in perspective, if you have 56 students in your middle school and high school ministry, at least four of those have been diagnosed with some sort of developmental disability. Now, Melinda, is that do, do those stats ring true? Do those sound true? Is that what you've They do seen? sound true. And and you researched well. Okay. Um, let's define developmental disability, though. Okay. Because where does that fall? You're yeah. looking at it, and I just looked it up. Yeah. And... Um, Melinda's fact-checking me yeah, here. I did fact-check. No. <laughs> the uh, state of Georgia defines developmental delays as a delay in a child's development in adaptive skills, cognition, social and emotional behavior, motor development, or communication. And here's the key. To the extent that if, it's not, if they're not provided with special intervention, the child may be adversely affected in their performances in age-appropriate activities. Mm. Wow. Hmm. Okay, so you've got autism... Students, 
they have communication disorders. Uh-huh. You have kids with emotional behavioral disorders. They all fall under this. So that, the, that definition includes a lot, a lot of different a lot of diagnoses. Different, and then a lot of different yeah. areas on the spectrum. Yeah. Wow. Not just autism spectrum, ability spectrum. Right. Yeah, that, that's super helpful uh, just to, I, I guess, because when, when you think the phrase special needs, for most people, something comes to mind. Mm-hmm. And the reality is that there are students all over uh, with all different kinds of special needs, right? It isn't just autism. It isn't just, you know, X, Y, or Z. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's kind of the point of this conversation is how do we as youth ministry leaders serve all of them in all of their unique needs, right? And so I guess to get our conversation going, maybe a good place to start is with a very big question, but it's it's how is the church doing as a whole serving and ministering to those with special needs? Well, in my experience, just we're, be real. Either, we're either doing really well uh-huh. with our higher functioning kids because our higher functioning kids can advocate for themselves, mm-hmm. or we're doing really well with our lower functioning kids because we have special programs for lower functioning kids, mm-hmm. but it does not always involve inclusion, but we're really stinking in the middle. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I'd also say I think some churches don't even acknowledge it and don't have something that is um, intentional for students Mm -hmm. with special needs, not because they don't think it's important necessarily, but maybe because they don't have someone in their church that's super passionate about helping. And so I would say it's either that or like the churches that I've been part of, um, one in particular, we had somebody on staff who that was her heart. Um, was mm-hmm. ministering to students with special needs and ministering to the families of students with special needs. And we had a thriving ministry for special needs. And um, we're well known in the community for it. So I feel like it's like one end of the spectrum or the other mm-hmm. of how yeah. we're doing in churches. Yeah, I would almost feel like those are the examples of the best case scenario, that even the churches who are doing great with high functioning and, and low functioning kids, those are sort of on the best the, on the best, best end. end of things. Mm-hmm. If I'm being honest, with the exception of where I am now, every church I've ever been a part of had zero, zero, not interest, that's not the right word. Mm-hmm. They had um, zero programs for special needs students, and it wasn't even on the radar. And I think that's where a lot of churches are. Like you said, Ash, not because they don't care, but because they just don't have anybody advocating for students with special needs in their ministry. And I think a lot of times as a ministry leader, mm-hmm. if you don't have a background in in that sort of ministry, that can be a really intimidating place to step yeah. in. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. And it's scary. It's yeah. scary for a lot of youth and youth ministers to know how to integrate students who come with special needs. Um, like I said, those higher functioning students can usually kind of meld in themselves mm-hmm. and figure out and develop strategies on their own. And we're talking about mm-hmm. high school, really. Mm-hmm. Middle schoolers and elementary schoolers is much more tough. Uh, Melinda, before we move on, you mentioned a word that I know um, any educators who are listening recognize, um, but maybe someone who doesn't have a background in working with students with special needs might not identify that word, and the word was inclusion. So can you explain to all our listeners what you meant by that word? Sure. Educationally, when you say inclusion, that means putting a student in a full realm of classes for general ed and adapting the curriculum there, in there, in that area. For student ministry inclusion, I would think, and it's the same thing with educationally, you're bringing a student into the program and accepting them for who they are, 
and you're helping them work socially, relationally, emotionally through mm-hmm. the whole gamut. Yeah. So you're not excluding them from anything. Yep. And you're bringing them into the fold. So inclusion would be uh, including the student with special needs in your weekly programming rather than creating a totally separate program. Exactly. Exactly. And we have to be careful here because what is the goal for the student Mm -hmm. when you're working through an inclusion setting? And the goal is to me for the student to know God and build relationships with others and to see others projecting the image of God. And that is to me is like the win for including students in. Because when you build those separate programs, there's no role models. There's no, I'm not a part of this. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm not, why can't I be a part of that? So are you, are you saying those relationships? You mentioned a a few minutes ago that, you know, maybe a lot of youth leaders don't know where to start or they don't, you know, they don't have the skills and abilities to know how to jump in and address some of this. So we almost kind of wait sometimes for someone who's passionate in this area to come alongside and Mm -hmm. initiate something. Right. But if you are a, a, a youth leader or student pastor who doesn't have a history in this, you, you mentioned the word inclusion, and you're saying maybe it's they, they well, not maybe, but you say they need to be part of that um, weekly programming and that kind of a thing. My question would be if I'm, I'm going to push back a little bit, Melinda, and right ask ahead. you so is special needs inclusion really possible in traditional youth ministry, or do students with special needs really need their own ministry and own environments to thrive? So, what are the what are the pluses? What are the drawbacks there? Because I feel like there might be some on both sides there. There are some on both sides. And I've seen separate programs work, especially when students are more involved in their needs. Mm-hmm. When you have a student who's more involved in their needs and cognitively or physically, especially cognitively, sometimes mm-hmm. they need that smaller group setting for some things. Yeah. But why not come to your big Wednesday night programming or whenever it is or Sunday night program, but still have a Sunday school class if that's what they want to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the benefits of having that large group is you're teaching them social skills is a traditional group. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you're teaching them, showing them how others project the image of God. Okay. You yeah. show integration. You have them feeling a part of a group and you're giving them self-worth. Yeah. They're not being taken mm. away to this small setting. That's so good. I would also say, you know, in the youth ministries I was part of, it was so different for every kid. Like some of the students could experience full inclusion for an entire mm. program. Mm. And some of the students, you know, would come in after worship so that it wasn't as loud. Or some students would come in only for worship mm-hmm. um, and then leave. And so it was so dependent on each kid, and which makes it harder yeah. <laughs> for youth pastors yeah, because you have to know all of that. Well, it may, absolutely makes it harder. And I think that's where we come in with... We have in education, we have the IEPs, the Individual Education Plans. So each student who has special needs has an IEP, an individual plan. You're saying in the, in in the, the public school systems, mm-hmm. there are these IEPs that... Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. And, it ha- and it outlines their day. It outlines what kind of goals we need to use for them personally. Mm-hmm. And each student's IEP is not like the next ones. Hmm. So when you think, how am I going to integrate that student into student ministry. They don't have an IEP for student ministry, but maybe it's a good idea to look at their IEPs because most of our students with IEPs 
have social emotional goals on there. Mm-hmm. What are they working mm-hmm. on? They have behavioral goals. They do have educational goals that can be used because you kind of know what their reading level is. Mm-hmm. So how would a youth minister go about getting that IEP? They've got to develop a relationship with the parent. Mm-hmm. Now we're talking about high schoolers. Mm-hmm. High schoolers, depending on their ability level, can give have the right to give that IEP to the youth minister. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. But if they're younger than that, then you've still a good idea to develop relationships with the parents. Say what works for your student, what doesn't. Can we sit down and go over the IEP together? Maybe. Or can I have access to your student's teacher? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. And your student's teacher probably has the best relationship outside of parents. Maybe. We know all youth don't have great relationships right. with their parents. Mm-hmm. But the teacher, usually there's a point person yeah. in so the school. when teaching students with special needs, one of my favorite parts of that process was this IEP, this mm-hmm. individualized education plan. And what that meant for me as a teacher, which you know, is that at the beginning of a year when I had a student for the first time, I got a document that told me everything the student was working on, everything socially, emotionally, all the things that you might not know about every student in your classroom. It was like a cheat sheet. Mm -hmm. And I had a meeting with every person on that kid's team. And that kid's team usually included the parent. It usually included some sort of caseworker or someone who was advocating for them. Sometimes it included members of their church staff. That's something that's allowed. You can be on a kid's team. And everybody who cared to get about the kid would sit around with the high schooler because they're old enough to be in those meetings mm-hmm. and decide for the year what's the goal. Mm-hmm. And then going from that environment into a church environment where it was just like, good luck. Right. Dropping them into a I mass thought, of kids. Yeah. Wow. I mm-hmm. would love to have a meeting with parents and teachers and say, what, what is the goal for this kid? who is somewhere on the autism spectrum or what is the goal for this kid with downs or with some sort of developmental delay? Like what should we be working towards right. together? I, th- I would love to see churches see, start to And do the that. intentionality in that is so crucial. I mean, as teachers, we might meet with our parents regularly. Oh, for sure. To talk about goals and, and, and with the students. Also because depending. it's required. And <laughs> by law. By, yeah. And it's required to be so, early. Is that right? Because yeah. mine were always so early in the morning. It's required by law. We're required to. But what do we learn out of that? And what can we take back to right. the churches is mm-hmm. that can you be an intentional Can you intentionally meet with your parents who have kids with special needs? And can the parents be honest? Mm-hmm. Because a mm-hmm. lot of times when they come into the churches, they don't want you to know that your child, their child has special needs. That's what I was just going to say is for youth pastors listening, like asking for the IEP is like asking for their medical records. Exactly. Yeah. So this isn't something that like you should ask you uh, without go. having a relationship mm-hmm. um, because it would be a more offensive maybe to, yeah. to That's parents. That's a really good point. And yeah. I think... Also, Crystal, when you were just talking about what's included on the IEP, mm-hmm. I think like what would better serve a kid than if the parents, the school, and the youth ministry yeah. were all speaking the same language, giving the kid the same directives. Like that's the best oh. way we can help a kid with special needs win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we've got to be real careful as youth ministers or volunteers or whatever when we go into a church and we say mm, that kid's a little different. You know what? That kid just might be different. Yeah. So mm-hmm. however you approach that kid. <laughs> Especially in middle school. <laughs> yeah. Because mm-hmm. all middle schoolers are quirky. 
and we have to be really careful about the language we use and how mm-hmm. we approach mm-hmm. the student and parents. Right. And a lot of times it's just asking the students, hey, what kind of classes do you take? How many students are in your class? And you'll kind of get an idea uh, of what's going on so before brilliant. you approach the right or the wrong person mm-hmm. and really offend somebody. So you're, you know, youth ministers, volunteers, we're teetering on an edge. And some of like you guys as teachers, Ashley and, and Crystal, you kind of got that sense. But we still have to be careful because mm-hmm. sometimes we overanalyze kids. It's so true. And we are wrong. Oh, mm-hmm. so many times that's happened. Mm-hmm. Do you want to know my secret question when I, when I want to know, but I don't want to ask? <laughs> yes, sure. I say, hey, uh, like, how are your classes? The same ones that you said, like, well, what kind of classes do you take? And then I will ask, so do your parents know your teachers well, or are they kind of hands off with that? And usually when a kid says, my parents know my teachers well, they'll say, oh, and and they meet with them Mm -hmm. a lot. And I'm like, oh, tell me more. That's that's my secret question is, do they know your teachers well? That flies under the radar. That's, that's nice. Of course, sometimes I also end up with just a super involved parent. (laughs) Well, then you know the helicopter parents too. (laughs) I I remember in uh, my middle school ministry, we had a student who, to this day, we haven't been told whether he had special needs or not. But the problem was, is everybody knew he did, but his dad served in the ministry too. But his dad never said one word about it Mm -hmm. for the entire three years. So it was very hard to like, to help the student. This makes me think of when you said like, sometimes parents are in denial or they don't want to bring the IEP stuff to Mm -hmm. church. They just want them to be treated like a quote, normal kid. Mm -hmm. But it made it really difficult because I don't feel like we were able to minister to him the way he may have best received it because we didn't have the tools to do that. And I had a great relationship with his dad. Mm-hmm. His dad just was so set on, he wasn't going to have special, you know. I have a similar story where I had a student that he obviously had special needs. Everybody knew it. The parents were upfront about it, the whole thing. But I was overprotective mm. because I know what I'm doing because I'm a special ed teacher, right? So I was overprotective with him. And she's like, why aren't you treating him like you treat the rest of the kids? Mm. I'm like, oops, yeah, you're right. Why aren't? And this is, what, this is one of my biggest pet peeves with student ministry is when they let their special needs kids become their mascot. Oh, gracious. Uh-huh. Have you seen that happen? Yeah, for sure. It's horrible because, you know, you want to, I call it the mascot syndrome. And avoid, avoid the mascot syndrome. Students with special needs are, are not hiding behind a costume, you know, so that they good. can take yeah. off and all of a sudden they're fine. This is who they are. And you can't make them your mascot. Your job or my job or anybody's job who works mm-hmm. in ministry is to help them become a part of the relationships that you're building within your ministry mm-hmm. and that relationship with God and not become... Oh, he's so cute. Oh, yeah. look at him. He's, you know, let's, we've got this kid, you know. Yeah. yeah. Because there comes a point for every teenager when they don't want to be so cute. Isn't that right? Exactly. Or yes. treated like they're a toddler mm-hmm. and they're just adorable. And, you know, our goal is to, if we talk about inclusion, goal is to make them a part of a group. Right. I love what you're saying there because this mascot thing is almost like the other side of the coin of the inclusion thing. It's like sometimes we're tempted to, um, okay, this is a different ministry. This is a ministry for them, and they don't see our traditional weekly Wednesday night or Sunday morning. But now what you're talking about is sometimes 
the tendency of, you know, small group leaders like myself or youth leaders, we uh, almost point them out so much. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just like, no, the, the point is to let them grow as part of a small group, as a part of the body of Christ, as a part of a youth ministry, mm-hmm. not single them out one way or another. Exactly. On the flip side of that, what I see a lot of youth pastors do as well is like when a, a new student comes to, with uh, special needs, mm-hmm. the youth pastor or the small group leader will talk to the parent rather than to the kid as if the kid can't represent themselves. And mm-hmm. this becomes a bigger issue as they become a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that that is like a, just a tiny little tweak and all of us can make is the first person you greet should be the kid, mm-hmm. you know, and then you can have a conversation with the parent, but let the parent know you see their kid as mm-hmm. a person, not as the attachment to the kid. So where do you even start, Melinda? If you're brand new to this, what does it look like to get uh, to start implementing a strategy here? Well, there are some global strategies as a church is like we have to have honest communications with our parents and our students. So depending on the student's age, depending on the student's ability, where do you go? You got to sit down and have honest um, conversations and then work on those strategies there. But churches also need a, to find a point person, that person who is passionate, that person who's going to show up every night of programming, who can check in on those students. So you need to find that volunteer or find somebody in the ministry that is their point person because the youth minister or the person in charge got way too much going on to always be the point person for that student. Mm-hmm. The youth minister does need to be a part of that conversation with parents and students, but then they need to kind of give them that point person that will be make, make sure that student is greeted every time they yeah. enter the door, mm-hmm. or those students. But you don't want to form a group of special needs students within a group of traditional, mm. right? You don't want to form a group within a group. So you might need five point people if you have five students with special needs, Mm -hmm. and you're not going to gather together and be a group within a group. Mm -hmm. But they just need to know there's a face, there's Crystal, and I know Crystal's got me, and I need an out, Mm -hmm. and Crystal's going to be able to read me because I can't always communicate my feelings, and she's going to see that I'm back in the back of the room having a hard time with this and help me find strategies. That makes sense. And just like I think the student needs a safe person, the parents need a safe person Mm -hmm. when they drop that student off, that Mm -hmm. they recognize that the same person is going to be there walking them in, or the same person is going to be the person I text and say, hey, is everything going okay? Mm -hmm. The same person actually is safe enough that they know what's going on with my student. So good. I think you you almost have to create a group of safe people Mm -hmm. within your ministry that parents can talk to about their students with special needs. I think it's crucial, and I think it's crucial, too, that that person is not overbearing. Like, if the student is fairly independent and they can communicate for themselves, you're just kind of looking from afar just to make sure they're okay and make sure they Mm -hmm. know you're there. Mm -hmm. And then there's some students who need more interventions who may need you close by, you know? So does that look like training certain volunteers and small group leaders to work with students with special needs, or does that look like we need to find uh, those who who are already skilled in this area? It could be both. Yeah. You can train a, a very passionate person can yeah. can be a point person. And I'm not saying they need to be their small group leader either. Good My point. opinion. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. 
Mm-hmm. Going back to something, Melinda, you and Crystal were just talking about, about the relationship with the parent. I think that it's really important that we as uh, youth workers remember um, we're not just ministering to the student, we're ministering to the whole family. And just mm-hmm. like we For emphasize sure. to partner with parents of middle schoolers, partner with parents of high schoolers, the same is true for students with special needs because parents of students with special needs have some unique challenges. Mm-hmm. You know, their, their situation isn't exactly the same. And so sometimes we need to give certain kind of support to those families. Digging back into your statistics there, yeah. CJ, there's a statistic, and I'm not sure if it's still right anymore, but over 90% of parents of students with special needs end up in divorced or mm. I've heard that difficult ma- marriages where the churches need to be there to support right. those families mm-hmm. because it is not easy to raise a student that you have to make so many decisions for and with. And let's just face it, Globally, we don't do a great job with our students with right. special needs. For sure. And if the student, it's hard. If the student has a bad experience at church because we're not prepared for that, mm-hmm. it's so much easier for the parents to be like, well, we just won't go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because it's more of a hassle than it is helpful in our family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think we can do a good job. At I the just, same time, if it is helpful and it is meaningful and it is yeah. great for the student, they're going to be there right. every single st- Sunday. Mm-hmm. And I know my, so my um, sister, uh, they have a kid, my niece uh, has some special needs mm-hmm. and I know that there's such a tight knit community as well among their friends, you know, cause they'll get together and they'll connect with uh, each other and share resources. And the second word would get out like, Hey, this ministry is killing it uh, at serving kids like ours. That word is going to spread and that ministry is going to grow. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. and it's such a great way to serve your community. And the community is well served. I think when, when you can address the needs of the students, no matter who they are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, we've got, I mean, students with special needs, we've talked about developmental delays, but we can just go into the realm of students just mm-hmm. to have needs. Yeah. And when you're mm-hmm. kicking it with, with them, they'll hear. Kids yeah. come. They flock to where they're Super wanted. True. I don't know about what you guys would say in this scenario, but I remember one of the biggest tensions in middle school ministry for us was when students did have a one-on-one with them attending the program, it was really awkward for our small groups because Mm -hmm. what would happen is our special needs ministry would provide a one-on-one with them, but sometimes it was the opposite gender so they couldn't join the small group because we were divided by gender. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it was rotating people like every other week. Well, the problem with that is then you have someone new coming into a middle school small group all the time. And so it, we had to make a, l- a lot of adjustments to make it work. But sometimes it just didn't work because it was so weird for the other kids, especially when an adult is sitting in the circle but not saying anything. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, you've got to play it out church by church, ministry by ministry as to either how large or how small the ministry is. Cause mm-hmm. small group leaders can be a point person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they can, but they don't always need to be because then that's a lot to put on. You just gotta, it's just like a lot of times you assign a buddy to a kid with special needs. Well, that's a lot to put on a teenager too. Sure. That's your buddy every single week. Well, what if they don't want to be a buddy that day? Right. right. Mm-hmm. You know? And so you've got to be able to balance those needs but um, and it depends on the ability of the student mm-hmm. again. But small group leaders do need to be trained. If you have point people, they need to be trained. Your youth minister needs to be trained. Trained how? Trained right. in what? Yeah, that's the biggest question. And I think training them to be not just a buddy or one on one for that kid, mm-hmm. but a co leader yeah. in the group. 
and they know their role, but the other kids think they're just a co-leader. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good strategy. So you, you brought up, so youth leaders and small group leaders need to be trained how and in what. So if you were leading a church right now, what in what ways would you train a youth leader and small group leaders? That's a really yeah, good question, good. CJ. Mm-hmm. Teach us. <laughs> Tell us. So that right. would be hard. Um, this is going to be a four-hour podcast now, very so go specific, ahead. and I am not an expert, but it's very specific to the church and who's available and who who's willing. Mm-hmm. But the main thing is, first of all, it's basically a, a frame of mind that you've got to go in with. It's really a frame of mind. Your frame of mind is that this student is a student first. Yeah. God made him a human. So treat them like a human, you know? Yeah. And never assume they don't know what you're talking about. Mm. Never great. assume so they don't hear you just because they're looking or they might be turned around differently or they might be fiddling with something. Never assume anything. Yeah. And so th- that's the frame of mind you got to come with. And then there's all these other strategies that's specific to the student. What if the student talks too much? What if the student has Tourette's? What if the student has... Then you've got to learn Mm -hmm. to deal with that specific student. Mm -hmm. What if that student doesn't like to talk, but you're going to have to intentionally ask them a question to bring them into the conversation? So those are all like really... It's going to be specific to each student. Um, I love the, I love what you just said because it basically means we have to teach our volunteers to let go of all expectations of what this kid will be able to do or will how they'll be able to receive what you're teaching them mm-hmm. because every case is so different. That's so good. Yeah. And it answers the question because I'm I'm sitting here I'm thinking okay if I'm a youth leader and I'm I'm trying to think through implementing this. Some of the things I'm hearing is I need to start bringing students who have special needs, inviting them into my service. I need to start plugging them into small groups. Um, and I could see uh, red flags going up like, oh, that, isn't this going to distract other students? Or isn't this going to bring some crazy variables into my program mm-hmm. and that I'm not ready to deal with. My small group leaders aren't ready to deal with. But that's what you're talking about. Like, hey, before you get to that point, we also need to train ourselves. We need to inform ourselves. We need to equip small group leaders Mm -hmm. because, hey, we're moving in a direction and we all need to be on the same page so that this works. And start doing that now because I guarantee in every student ministry, even though there might not be a special needs program or there not be special training, you have students with special needs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So start that frame of mind now and really work on, you don't have to like intentionally invite but work on those strategies. Just try implementing the strategies naturally. We naturally have a lot of kids that do not like worship time because the music is too loud. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we are not going to say they're all on this autism spectrum. They just don't like loud music. So what are you going to do now? Mm-hmm. You're going to provide headphones. You're going to provide earplugs. You're going to give them an out. It's okay if you stand in the back. It's okay if you go out the door for a few minutes. Yep. Mm-hmm. You're going to allow those things to happen. Yeah. And say, you know, here are the earplugs or here are the, or bring your own. A lot of kids mm-hmm. like to bring their own yeah. as long as they haven't plugged it into their iPhone. All right. So Melinda, Ashley, Crystal. So let's get really practical here. Uh, Melinda, you're suggesting we need to train. We need to train, train, train. If you're a leader, okay, I maybe I'm not an expert in this. I can't train. Where do I go? Who do I turn to? What does this look like? Well, for me, one of the most impressive group of people that I've met in education was the special needs case manager. And all that meant was when a kid started ninth grade, they had a teacher assigned to them who knew their parents and knew all their stuff and went to all the meetings. And they stayed with that kid for four years. 
But these case managers, you guys, are so committed to these kids. And I've seen them go to Publix and talk to the Publix manager because the kids had an after-school job. I've seen them go to coaches and talk to mm. coaches because kids were on the team. And I would be shocked if a case manager wasn't willing to talk to a small group leader with the permission of the parents, of course. You have to start with the parents. You have to have those conversations to, to get that access. Yeah. But then once you do, I think a kid's case manager would be the expert, not only in that particular diagnosis, but in that particular kid mm-hmm. so to good. talk to the small group leader. Yeah, that's great. And go to the local schools. Yeah. Exactly what she said. Go to the local schools and tap into those resources. And I'd be careful, too. You talked about inviting special needs kids. That's a real sensitive area because once you start inviting special needs kids intentionally, then you've pointed them out as having special needs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So how are you going to do that? And this is a question that I don't really have an answer to because you want to bring in. But how are you going to do that sensitively where you're not saying, this is my general ed population, and now right. we're inviting this special needs population? You don't want to divide your youth group. Right, right. Mm-hmm. You know, the special needs ministry at my church, uh, the volunteers all the way through elementary school wore these red shirts. And everybody knew that it was associated with that ministry. And then when the students moved into middle school, it was like such a tension in trying to figure out like what's more valuable, like mm-hmm. that the parents know the volunteers with their kid and you can identify them in the room, or is it better for the kids not to know who has a one-on-one and they just blend in as every other volunteer. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the tensions we had to work through mm-hmm. was how do we not call them out? Because it's hard to be in middle school. It's mm-hmm. hard to be, I, I, and you know, and you change because in elementary school, it's socially acceptable more so mm-hmm. than it to have special needs yeah. than in middle school and high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you have to be real sensitive to that as far as, and it depends on the ability level of the student. Yeah. And For, high schoolers get really, really good, particularly high functioning high schoolers get really good at masking and covering and coping for an hour so nobody knows. Mm-hmm. And and while that's not a bad thing, I also think there's some value in a small group leader or a trusted adult knowing, hey, you might be struggling and no one else can see it, but I can check in on you. Mm-hmm. I can ask if you're doing all right or if you want to step out. I, I think there's value in somebody knowing, even if the kid doesn't present something that might require them to have a one-on-one mm-hmm. buddy all the time. Mm-hmm. It's good. Yeah. And for anyone listening, you know, who does have a special needs ministry, I know for what I had to figure out as a youth pastor, and this really challenged me, but one area that always seemed to be attention when we were trying to, you know, practice inclusion was the games. And so basically I worked with a special needs pastor and we tried to figure out what would serve them best. And this also goes along with the training. It required me as the the person planning the programming to be planned out way further in advance Mm -hmm. than I had before, because what would happen is I'd have to write every single step of the game and how it was played. And then we would send it to the special needs ministry leader and she would train every single one-on-one how you could adapt that game so every kid could participate Mm -hmm. or the special needs pastor would help me adapt the game as a whole Mm -hmm. so that everybody could participate. And it was so helpful. It really changed the way the kids like enjoyed our middle school ministry because now they could participate in the fun part. When I was thinking about this podcast, I was thinking about worship and games and 
how big some of our programming is mm-hmm. in some churches and how overwhelming it could be for, to some, for some students. So those are real practical suggestions, real good strategies. The, you know, routine. Routine is key, not only for your students with special needs, but for all your students to know what is expected and, where, and what expectations you have for them. Yeah. In the night of worship or in the night of programming, whatever it is. And the other thing that's key that you said was um, having it spelled out. Messy games are not going to be good for all our kids with special needs. Mm-hmm. They hate messy games. Mm-hmm. So balance your messy game. It's okay to have messy yeah. games. Don't take that away, but balance it with something else yeah. and then modify or adapt some programming so everybody can be included at some point or another. Yeah. Inclusion, when you have upfront games, you're not going to have 200 kids up front doing a game. Right. So make sure you just balance the games out between messy and not messy. So just a really practical example of how like a simple game can be adapted with one little change in the rules. We used to play this game where like the two small group leaders held this really tight string and there was like a solo cup on the string. We put a hole in the middle and it was like just five inches off the ground and the students had to crawl and blow into the cup to move the cup from one side of the room to the other. And it was a relay race. Well, we had a student who was in a wheelchair. Well, she couldn't get down on the ground. So we just changed. It was something as simple as just raise it to waist level and then that kid can play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. What I love is how fun that game sounds and how many <laughs> youth ministries are going to be doing right. it this You weekend. are welcome. You said <laughs> and another, another key thing with games is teach the kids that it's okay to pass. Yeah. Yeah. I'll take a pass on this one. Yeah. Teach a student to say, I'm taking a pass. We don't want every kid to take a pass because right. then, then some people will never do messy games. But, you know, it's okay to take a pass. That's and great. if they have a signal, like, mm-hmm. I'm not doing this one, you don't challenge them. And what I love is you could take every area of your ministry, whether it's the games, whether it's the small group time or small group questions or your message, and you could evaluate you know, each part of your ministry and, and figure out, okay, what does it look like to be more inclusive? What does it look like mm-hmm. to make sure that this is going to be relevant for all of our students and not just some of our students? And that's what we talk about all the time anyway, mm-hmm. is what does it look like to, to make sure that a guy, a girl, a 16-year-old guy, a 17-year-old girl, you know, a student on the autism spectrum, a student who has this developmental disability, what does it look like to make sure all of them are included and feel loved and are growing in their faith? I think these are all great suggestions, and I feel like, Melinda, we're going to have to have another podcast at some (laughs) point dissecting some of these other areas, too, and what it looks like to be inclusive in every area. But to wrap up our conversation today, I'd love to ask, all right, one final question here. If someone is listening and they don't have students with special needs in their environment or don't know that they have students with special needs in their environment, what's one step they need to take this week to make their environment more special needs friendly? Provide accommodations that are easily done. Worship is probably the most difficult time for Mm -hmm. students with special needs. So if you know that student has special needs, let them know they can bring earphones. Let them know they can back out of the room. That's somewhere to start. Yeah. If you don't have any idea, communication. Communication is huge. You've got to start communicating with the parents. Yeah. And the students, depending on their age. Yeah. So that's a place to start. You know, make make worship a little bit more accommodating. And there are a lot of places to start, but that's a great simple place Mm -hmm. to, okay, let's start. It's a simple change and it's cheap and 
get some earplugs or you know and teach them how to use them yeah. i mean just don't say hey they're here yeah. they're there right. for anybody really mm-hmm. yeah and i think also jumping off that just start with one kit because the special needs community is very tightly knit. And mm-hmm. if one family feels like it's a safe place for their teenager to be, they're going to tell everybody else that they know. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, you're going to have a ton of students in your ministry, which is an amazing thing. Because that means we're serving the needs of our communities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so great. That's very important. And I would say, Melinda, you said communication is the biggest thing. My experience both at church and in the education world is, yes, there are some parents who are in denial and don't want to talk about their kids' needs, but there's a a much larger group of parents who just don't know how to start that conversation. Mm. They maybe never have met you and don't want to open with that. And so I would just figure out a way to make the invitation to all the parents, hey, if if you're student has um, a particular need, a way that we can serve them better. If uh, maybe even make the introduction of like, Hey, if your student is served at school by, by an individualized education plan, or if, even if they have severe allergies, like make it a couple different things that you could invite parents to come and just tell you, Hey, here's what's going on. I think that's a win for the student and for the parent. So Crystal, what does it actually, what does the conversation sound like when that parent actually does come see you? I think you almost have to respond to parents the same way you would respond to a student that just told you something that might be sensitive, mm-hmm. which is, hey, thanks so much for telling me. I'm I'm so glad you told me. I'm really looking forward to working with you on it. It's just positive, 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 not like you're on a plane and you're bracing for impact. Yes. Um, because parents can see that in your eyes. If they see the terror, they know that they've stressed you out and that makes them more uncomfortable. I would just pr- practice, honestly, for that conversation, practice saying, Oh, thank you so much for telling telling me. I can't wait to see how we get to partner together. What are some some ways I could serve you? And also ask some normal questions about their kids too. Don't keep everything about the special needs, but also like, hey, what do they like to do? What kind of music are they into? Do they like movies? What kind of movies? Because that'll give you some connection points for the kid that don't center around whatever challenges they may face. Mm-hmm. And you might want to go into it too. And if, if it, you feel like the conversation has led there, say, mm-hmm. what are your concerns for mm-hmm. your student in our ministry and how can we address that? So good. Yeah. So good. What oh. a way to win trust. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love our, our final suggestions here are making a global invitation to parents, whether it's email or an announcement or something. Hey, we want to partner with you. And then Melinda, your suggestion, hey, let's tweak some worship. And like, those are two parts of the equation. Like, let's make the invitation and let's make some accommodations to make sure everybody's comfortable and all of our students are growing in the relationship with God. So on that note, friends, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the podcast. Special thanks to Melinda for joining us as well. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Melinda. Thanks for having me. And hey, as we wrap, for those of you listening who have a strategy for serving those with special needs in your ministry, we would love to hear what you're doing, what's working well for you. And the best way to share your thoughts is to join our Facebook group, and we'll have a link to that in our show notes. And you can find those show notes by visiting rethinkingym.org. Until next time, thanks for listening.